We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What a Arsenal proved that the old adage is still true. If you score four goals at home against the fifth-place side from the Ukrainian division, you're going to win the game. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Uh, That's right. You only have to score four if you're going to let in two. In fact, you only have to score three. Even three goals would have done it. But I kid because actually it was a dominant opening performance uh, at home against, let's admit it, not the greatest Vorskla side you've ever seen. What is the best Vorskla side you've ever seen? Maybe we'll dig into that later in the podcast. We're going to do a summary, a review of the game. Uh, We are going to do a preview of Everton. Uh, We are going to have Tim joining down the line. But now we start with Clive. He's on Twitter at ClivePAFC. Hello, Clive. I wasn't hello, ready for it. Hello, he thought I'd hello, go hello, Paul hello. first. I, I tripped you up. You had me on mute. And Paul, yep, he's here. He's on, he's on Twitter, pausing in my pants, and I bet he's even ready to say hello. Hello, pause. Woohoo! Woohoo, indeed. Uh, so, I will start with you, Paul. Simple question. Yes. Vorskla, yeah, bad yeah. opponent or the worst opponent? So, I've been researching FC foreskin pullover for some time. Oh, for and, uh, yeah, they're not very good. Um. I was trying to work out beforehand if they've put out a really strong side or a really weak side. <laughs> it was and? not apparent to me which one it was. Yeah, it was, look, it wasn't apparent to me either. But l- let's let's uh, leave the kidding aside for a second. I think um, there's a lot of positives to be taken out of this game. But before we get to the positives, of course we have to get to my 
uh, insane rant that I went on before the game. I'll level with you. When I saw the lineup, I wanted to pull my hair out. Uh, and, you know, once you hit the age I'm at, you shouldn't start pulling your hair out because there's no guarantee it's going to come back. Paul, Aubameyang starts, Torreira starts, um, uh, Socrates starts, Nacho Monreal starts. Not that the other players aren't important, but these are guys who, you know, we expect to be regular starters, in Torreira's case, hopefully soon to be a regular starter, against opposition that our U23s probably could beat. Um, you know, we do know from watching other teams do it for years that playing first-team players on Thursday in the Europa League is a recipe for damaging your, your league campaign. So am I overthinking this? I mean, I'm not saying he didn't rotate, but did I did I overthink it? I mean, how, what's your feeling about using key players in a game like this? So is it okay to quote your WhatsApp comment from? Yeah, you can, but but I, I before you do it, I just want to say this. I tend to be a little more hair trigger incendiary on the old WhatsApp because I know I'm <laughs> really? not going to get any blowback from it. But but fire away, out me. It's I can't fine. slide slide a paper between your WhatsApp and your Twitter. To be honest, Fair. well maybe I can these days. What the hell is Emery playing at with that lineup, Jesus? I think that was in deference to myself. It, it meant to um, be Jeebus, but you know. Yeah. And then I was going to do a a Simpsons gift, but I didn't. (laughs) I think I replied, not too surprising, is it? Um, I I was, I think I was okay with it. I I could guess where you might have problems with it. But if you play, he's at a point in his Arsenal career, Emery, and this team is at a point where you still need positives and a positive vibe and developing the Arsenal uh, Emery Ball way of playing, and you need some mix of first team and uh, squad and youth players and the youth, especially in the first game, the youth probably coming more from the bench than starting. Um, and you can rationalize, I think, every player on the pitch as to why they're there. I, I didn't have... So I'll, I'll bounce it back to you. Who, who were your biggest concerns as to why they were playing and maybe Clive and I can tell you why we think it made sense yeah, for them to fair. play or not. No, I think yeah. it's fair because obviously I'd prefer to be talking and listening. So um, I think, look, I maybe I'm a little scarred just from years of Arsenal having no luck with fitness, you know, and injuries derailing our season. And to be honest, I mean, there were a couple moments early in the game where it looked like Torreira had been murdered. Uh, but, you know, I do think that when you have a team where your key players like Socrates, like Aubameyang, like Mkhitaryan, like Nacho Monreal are approaching 30 or on the wrong side of 30, you have to manage them. And one of the advantages of having these easy group stage competition um, Europa League opponents, put all those words in the order they belong, um, is that you can afford to not just rotate, but basically give those players the day off, the first team players, just completely the day off. Now, if there's some players who need sharpness and fitness, fine, get them in there for, for 60 minutes. But I do think that, you know, Emery hasn't managed in the Premier League. He doesn't know what it's going to be like when you get to December and there's a game not every four days, but every other day. Um, yeah. And, you know, you you do start to see how attritional this can be. And we have seen it. We have seen good teams derailed by taking the Europa League seriously at the group stage. So, because I think we could have right. beaten this opposition with U23 caliber players, and maybe I'm wrong about that, but we saw us basically get by that way last season. I just, I, I would prefer to have a fit and firing and rested and healthy and happy 
Aubameyang and Socrates and Nacho and Mkhitaryan and Torreira for Everton on Sunday and let the chips fall where they may with Vorsko tonight. That, that's it. Okay. I mean, that's probably more than okay. you needed. Yeah. So my quick repast would be, first of all, you got to get your momentum going. Uh, I'm not convinced under 23s would have beaten these guys. Um, because it wouldn't have been a pure under-23 side who played together. And that's the key piece here. I mean, we saw for the best part of 40 minutes a team looking crap uh, despite plenty of talent in there uh, because none of these plays, players had really particularly played up alongside each other, and these were senior players. So it takes a while to get a rhythm and a momentum going, which is always the challenge with the Europa League. Um, Obama Yang... Uh, you could say needed to play and needed to play as a center forward and needed a couple of goals. And we were pretty crap until that counterattack where he, he buried it in the back of the net. And after that, he started looking like Thierry Henry, pinging it off the post, um, getting his second goal a little later on. He started, st- started to look like class. He started to have fun, started having fun and looking like he was having fun, which that wasn't the impression he left after the last league game. So I think that's a win. Um, Mkhitaryan didn't play last time out. Uh, he, I think he stayed on for the 90 minutes, didn't he? So he had a really long run. You can look at that either way. But assuming we're looking at fitness data, that means our belief in Mkhitaryan is he's kind of he's hitting cruising speed in terms of fitness. So I kind of like that. Socrates has is basically the stamp of uh, approval on our defense at the moment and i'm enjoying his last couple of games for us um as a he wasn't overly tested he wasn't overly worked out um yes to terrera but he needs the games the minutes and the starts so i don't really have a problem with that and he didn't play the full 90 monreal is the one thing you'd question but we don't have another left back uh, our other left back at the moment is probably Licksteiner who's playing as right back. So Monreal was the one position where you say, geez, we have no left backs. He's it. And he's playing all games. Uh, but hopefully, again, he wasn't too tested in this. So I think the thing to do was to get up, get ahead, get a few goals and then play within ourselves so that nobody got too stressed out. And I think largely that's what we did. The idea was to get ahead. I was a little surprised with the subs. I don't know why it wasn't Eddie and um, Smith Rowe. What's his face? Smith Rowe, who came on. That was my one surprise. Well, look, we're at the eight minute mark. I think that's the appropriate time to bring Clive into the podcast. So let's do that now. Um, Hi, Clive. Hello. Stop using that button. Stop using the <laughs> okay, button. Okay, I'll stop using it. <sighs> All right. Um, so do, do you even want to weigh in on my inane ramblings? Yeah, about, yeah. Okay, weigh, weigh in on it. It won't take long, right? Um, <laughs> to do away with me, to dismiss me, like, well, hand wave me. Well, it, well he, he made eight changes. Right? Simple as that. He made eight changes from I the last I wanted him game. to make 11. Yeah, and and he would have probably played Colosini if he was fit. He would have probably played Panos if he was fit. He's got a groin injury. That's why Socrates played. And and he has to have his insurance policy at centre forward. Right? He has to have the one man. So think about these games in a string of three. So we've got Everton on Sunday. So Everton on Sunday, we, we more or less will see Aubameyang and Lacazette start again. And what will happen on against Brentford... We'll probably see Lacazette start up front with maybe Eddie 
playing more minutes. And we'll probably see Mustafi play the, the centre-half rather than Socrates. Do you see what I mean? So well, we're going to have to, right? Because we can't at this stage of the season be playing like Socrates and, and Aubameyang Thursday, Thursday, Sunday, Wednesday at this point. It'd be, yeah, be crazy. exactly. So Mustafi will take it next week, right? So um, so it's just, it's, I think it's quite clever use of the of the squad. Right? It's all he can do. If Maitland-Niles would have been there, he might have played left back, but he's not there. And so Monreal's the one risk at the moment, but that team was too good for a young kid to play there. And he, and, he, and there was no young kids on the bench from a defensive point of view, only Bellerin. So it shows you where we're weak as a, as a club. We haven't got that, you know, youth defender. And when we talk under 23s, we're really, we're really talking 18-year-olds now. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's fair under point. 23s football, right? It's not like they're 21-year-olds running around. And all that heavyweight squad we got rid of last January... You know, the people that played last year, like, you know, Giroud and, and Walcott and all those, you know, and Wilshire, all those heavyweight, heavy earners, a lot of them have gone now, right? So I, I think it made sense. I, I, I don't think there's much more you could have done. Okay, and, and the only thing I will say, uh, opposing my original insane view, is that we are still kind of in the lab, right? We're, we're still baking. We're still in the oven. We're still in whatever place where things get made that aren't made yet, and... Um, this is a chance for the manager to see a couple combinations he might want to have a look at, continue to drill the players on his new system. I mean, we're almost in a preseason state to some extent because we still have players trying to learn their roles under this coach, and the coach is still trying to learn the players. So if he gets some of that in a game that's fairly low risk and he can make some observations that help him and help the players going forward, then that's certainly valuable. So good enough. Clive, I'll stick with you. Um, I do want to touch on something that has... We, I think we kind of proposed it earlier in previous pods, and it, it sort of seems true right now. And I think it is one of the big issues for Emery going forward. I thought both Mkhitaryan and Iwobi looked really good in this game. And by the way, I'm going to put a caveat up that we don't have to use again. So none of us have to say this after this. It's very hard to know how much to take from these kind of games. We understand that. Yeah. This is a very, very poor level of opposition. And it may just be that anything you try would work. So I acknowledge that. But... Well, to be honest, I, I don't think people should even listen to the podcast on these things. I totally agree. You know what you should do? Just subscribe, give a five-star review, fast forward the podcast to the end so the thing thinks you've listened to the whole thing, and then don't listen. It's totally fine. Yeah. Um, uh, but but do go to beer52.com forward slash vision. Anyway, um, so, but Mkhitaryan and Iwobi did look good in this game, and I think it is the big issue we're facing right now that having – forwards on the left and right that more naturally want to be in left and right. And I realize Mkhitaryan at sometimes was playing 10 and at sometimes was playing wide right. But to you, how much of this game is is sort of evidence, further evidence, that those positions need to be occupied by players like that as opposed to players like Ozil and Aubameyang? Mm, uh, um, I'm, I'm okay with either. I, I, you know what? It's very difficult to judge because they were very, you know, they played a back six in a flat line. And so when your eyes went to the screen... You go to the players who are going to provide you hope. And we were passing the ball around, and we had maybe one player in Iwobi that was sort of keen to run at people, and uh, Mikatarin was keen to run at people in broken play. And when they put the foot to the ground, they looked quite good, and they looked quite threatening. And it, what it showed me, really, was that this was the day for that famed winger we all wanted over the summer, you know, because neither of them two are really wingers per se but it would have been nice to have somebody a real true dribbler that that's their primary skill set and and that's what the squad lacks you know forget the team of the night the squad lacks that player 
the closest we have really is Reese Nelson. He's no longer with us until he, he's gone to finishing school at Hoffenheim. And so we need that player. I was thinking watching that game, can you imagine if Reese Nelson was playing? Because what they were doing, they were giving you time to receive it and pick up a head of steam. And so you can actually drive at them. Good players don't give you a chance to turn around and run at them, right? They take space away, they put your arm in your back and they force you back towards your own goal. So they were poor and, and, and the hope was there. I was not diminishing the... Um, the performances, I thought he well, we did really well. I thought he took a lot of care over his final ball. He put the ball into dangerous areas. He didn't kick any into the crowd like he used to do. And Mkhitaryan's a top player. Right? It's simple as that. He's a top player. And for me, he should be in our first 11. So, you know, every minute, at the moment, I'm more, you know, I'm more concerned that he played the whole game because I'd like to see him play on Sunday. Because I think he's that good and and he should be on the right-hand side, and Ozil should be in the 10 if you're going to continue his 4 2 3 one. So, we, um, Yeah, I agree. Well, when we get to the Everton preview part of this, we'll also sort of debate what we think the lineup will be based on what happened tonight. So we can whoops. we can save that just for a moment. Um, <laughs> pretend you didn't hear the last few seconds of what Clive said. Um, I know I know, I didn't. Uh, but, but, Paul, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, this, this Awobi game for me, it, it's funny. It was kind of very typically Awobi, but just a level up in a sense. What I mean by that is... He was very influential. He did some very good things. He had an assist. He created some chances. And yet there were so many nearly moments where he let the ball roll under his foot a little bit extra. He didn't quite get the pullback right or didn't quite get the cross right. What did you make of his performance? I mean, really encouraging the way he was involved in, and the end product he did produce, but maybe a few missed chances also? Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, you can always make the counter argument he hasn't had that many minutes, so suddenly he's in the spotlight. Maybe his decision making will be maybe just a tad off. Um, I think he's a really good player if the opposition gives him that extra yard, and today he had it. Uh, he looked like a superior athlete. He looked faster than them, stronger than them, because he probably was. Uh, and what he's got to do is do it against the top the top half of the table, the top six teams in the Premier League. Uh, you know, he's very young. Uh, he's doing really well. Um, but it may still take him another season or two before he can impose himself on games. What he's really got to do is enjoy and thrive on the competition. He's young enough that he doesn't need to get psyched out because he's not getting uh, to be picked as a starter each game. But he's just got to have these guys, Mkhitaryan, etc., in his crosshairs and learn from them in training and work hard. I mean, he still came. He was one of the players who looked tired just before he came off. So, you know, whatever that was, 60, 70 minutes into the game, um, I remember seeing him sprint up the wing. And uh, unlike earlier in the game where he looked like he was he had the turbos on. He was doing that running thing where you hit, you're kind of leaning backwards and looking like you're running really fast. But he really, he was he was actually now I, going I call slower that the than the Yeah, that's that's harsh. Oh, um, come on. But yeah, he probably was running a Giru pace at that particular point. So maybe he just doesn't. He's never a player is going to have 90 minutes in him. Uh, but maybe this is an opportunity under Emery to learn. That if he wants to pl- wants to be a starter, he's just going to simply have to knuckle down, learn from the other guys, uh, and work like a maniac to get his fitness to the kinds of levels where he can still sprint after 90 minutes. So I, I thought he was great in this game. I, I agree with you. Um, 
he made decision making at times look a little bit more difficult. Even on those, though, he probably pulled out a, a magic cross that was a, an assist or a near assist because they kept giving him a second a second chance or a second look at it, which I think speaks to the fact that they were giving him an extra yard. This was a very good game for him. It'll be good for his confidence. Uh, what does it mean? Uh, you know, I think we just got to be patient with him. He's got to not be patient with himself, though. He's just got to look at Mkhitaryan with a bullseye and go after his, pl- his place in the team. I mean, that's there's a 30-year-old ahead of him. That's got to give him, uh, what's he now? I would guess 22 or something. Um, he's got to be filled with hope that if he works his freaking socks off, he can eventually pip that guy for the job. So he, uh, we can agree with, on this. He's whatever age he is until he's whatever age he's going to be. Yeah. Um, plus, yeah. Well, let me stay with you just for one second, though. I mean, I was really impressed with Mkhitaryan too. Do you? I mean, what's your reaction to my uh, hypothesis that we are just a better attacking team and we look more coherent? when those wide forward positions are occupied by, I don't want to call them natural wingers because they're not, but players who are at least more comfortable being in wide positions. Yeah, I mean, um, there was the Dortmund connection on the goal with, uh, I mean, it was Mkhitaryan who made that breakaway. Mkhitaryan and Aubameyang seem to have a real understanding, and it's understandable. You know, I mean, you can see why that would be. Maybe we're looking for things that aren't there, but it, it looks like it. Yeah, I mean, we were struggling, and then Mkhitaryan says something to the Ukrainian guy in Ukrainian to leave the ball alone, picks it up in the box, and basically takes it two-thirds of the the field. But, I mean, how many breakaways have we seen Arsenal, supposedly a great breakaway team, uh, fluff kind of halfway up the pitch with the wrong ball? And he's got the right ball over to Iwobi. Oh, back to your friend Iwobi. Iwobi does great on that one. Uh, there can be no criticism of. No, of course that's that that's a perfect I, play right there. Yeah, and not only was it a good ball, it w- he made an early decision and the right decision, and uh, set Aubameyang on his tracks. And it was the Dortmund connection with uh, Mkhitaryan, uh, Iwobi, who knows a couple of people from Dortmund. He might have even been and, there once. Who knows? Yeah, probably. And uh, Aubameyang, and pow, 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 in you go. Yep. So, uh, yeah, look. Uh, uh, what I got out of this game with Mkhitaryan is his touch can be a little erratic from time to time. To time. His passing can be, but his vision and his movement and and his decisiveness in the final third is always excellent. And when it clicks for him, it really clicks. Uh, great that he, he did 90 minutes again. Uh, we yeah. should remember how we all kind of poo-pooed him, as they say in England, um, during preseason, but he was only just coming up to cruising speed, uh, and now he looks like the real deal. On the other hand, having played 90 minutes, I'm slightly concerned that maybe the manager doesn't have him as a starter It's a shame uh, against Everton. I-, I think he makes us tick. I think he gives us something yeah. we don't have with these other players, and we're 20 minutes in, so it seems like the right time to bring Clive into the podcast. Um, so, <laughs> Clive, maybe I'm he's off quite base in- here. He's quite instinctive, Mikatarin. He, he, is he a little Rosicki in terms yeah. of he has that directness and that, that drive with the ball that nobody else in our, our squad really seems to possess? So it's quite interesting with Paul. He does give the ball away, and when he gives the ball away, what it is, it's not a lack of technique, it's a lack of concentration. He just had a little switch-off moments on some of the most basic things in football, like a three-yard pass. Then he'll go and get it back, and he'll whip a shot to the top corner. You think, hmm, it's obviously you can play, but you almost need to be under the highest pressure to really test yourself, to test your technique. 
If you look at his goals, or his scores, or his crosses, they're always under pressure. When you think, can you do it? And he delivers it perfectly. I think he's a he's a he's a bit of an enigma type player, actually. Does the does the the easy stuff he finds difficult, and the hard stuff he finds quite easy. If that makes same, sense. Same same for me. Same for me. Yeah, I think he's. Um, I I like him. I I trust him under pressure, and I trust him when the key moments come. And the hardest thing in football is to deliver in the last third. We can all play, we can all train, we can all practice. When it comes to delivering in the last third, that's really difficult. And that's why most of us on three fifty a week because it's the hardest skill in football, right? So um, I like him. Deliver. Well, <laughs> you know, you know what I what I'll say too about McTarian is is. That Chelsea game kind of sums him up in some respects, right? Because he had some of the worst moments early in that game that I could possibly remember and then created, you know, all of our chances uh, scored. Did he score the goal? Or am I thinking City? Which was the game where he scored the goal um, from the top of the box? Chelsea. Chelsea. That was Chelsea. Yeah, yeah. He so I mean, one and then the left foot shot, which is really difficult skill on his wrong foot on the laces. Bang. Yeah. Goal. So that's I, what I mean by instinctive. Right? I mean, it's it's tough because I think ultimately this is a player who adds something that I don't think we have. But to bring him into the squad, you have to start dropping someone like Ozil or Ramsey or Lacazette or Aubameyang. And so the question is, do you pick the bigger names and the more talented players or do you pick the guy that seems to make things tick over? And we can talk about that a little more in the previous section, but it's something that I think is going to be an issue all game long. Uh, pardon me, all season long. One player who I thought, did well with what he's supposed to do. That's put the ball in the back of the net tonight is Aubameyang. And, and Clive, I know you don't like Aubameyang. You prefer Lacazette and you think Aubameyang's kind of a, a, a fraud. Don't so, do that again. I just like, I like, I see what do you think? What do you equal, think? I see as, I see them as equally important. Fair enough. And, um, and what we, what I'd like is to see them play up front together. Yes, please. Let's just see it. Right. They, I thought Aubameyang was, you know, it's quite interesting watching so the first smooth. part of that game. Gosh, we, we never, Looked like scoring, broken field play, Dortmund style goal, and then the game opens up slightly, and he looks a completely different player. At sort of nil nil, I'm looking at it going, okay, this is interesting. Where's his goal coming from? I'm looking at the bench, <laughs> I'm looking around, and then suddenly they 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 overcommit and we, and we go in and we execute, and once we score, then he looks really dangerous. He is a, he is a very good footballer. Uh, I have to, I, I was quite impressed with him tonight actually because. I know the opposition wasn't great, but sometimes when the opposition is not great, you can see someone's skill set and what they're really good at. And um, yeah, he's got some techniques and different style of finishes. And um, he could have had three or four. And I, I, I think it's going to be, we have to find a way to get him closer to the box, Elliot. I know you won that too. There's no, it shouldn't be an either or. We just, we just got to get two of them there. Look, the, system's got to change. The one where he hits to, to get change. the two of them up there. It's four um, diamond two, but but I mean we're not going to play that way. I th- I think we have to put aside this notion that we're going to play two up front at least with any regularity because there's been no indication of it whatsoever. I will tell you that while the one where he hits the post and his second goal are two of the smoothest, sexiest moves in the game, the goal he scores on the counter is what he can do and you know those high xg in the box finishes. I I really do think if he finishes one or even both of those chances he gets against Chelsea, which are chances he routinely does finish. The narrative around him this season is totally different, but you know we'll, we'll leave that to one side. Paul, we have to give Socrates some credit. This is a player that I'll admit I was worried about when we signed him, getting up there, coming off a terrible season. He's quicker than I thought. He's front-footed, but he seems to read the game really well. Another impressive night, snuffing out what little danger Vorskla created. How impressed uh, were you with him in this game, and, and how does that build on what you felt about him so far? 
I think more than impressed, the word I pick is heartened. Uh, you know, I heard I was told all these scary things from people who watch Dortmund that, uh, yeah, he was good, but then he started being really bad and we were stupid and we wasted money on him. Uh, that's a little paraphrasing, I'm sure. Certain people will be getting prickly at that. They're not on the pod, uh, so they can't, they can't answer you. Fuck them. Um, and I'm like, well, okay, we might make mis- a, a mistake, but um, th- there seemed to be every reason to give this guy some time. I mean, he, when you look at him, he looks like a solid center back before he even kicks a ball. And it's taken him a few games uh, to get there. Uh, he was definitely warming up slowly like Mkhitaryan in preseason. But then maybe that's a Dortmund thing and maybe that's an experienced player thing. I don't know. But they're beginning to come good at the right time. Uh, and he just has an air about him. Uh, yep. I mean, I'll do some defending of Mustafi, but the pro- one of the problems I would concede with Mustafi is he doesn't have an air about him. He, well, he does. <laughs> it's the it's the air that something could happen at any time. He has an error about him. To, How about that? <laughs> yeah, and the other thing, Mustafi is mirac- or sorry, uh, Socrates has miraculously done is found uh, a couple of extra yards of pace from. Oh, you you wouldn't say from nowhere. Maybe that's just the full fitness kicking in. But, I mean, he's significantly quicker now. Uh, we saw him in preseason and maybe the first game or two uh, getting beat for pace for quite often. Um, and now he's the guy, he's the cleaner upper um, running behind other defenders, uh, pegging center backs back. And, he, you know, he's a big lad. So he kind of has that advantage that somebody like a Van Dyke has where they have speed, but they also have the strength, the arm across the body. Uh, Company's another one uh, in his prime and on, on a good day these days yeah. who has speed and upper body strength and the arm across the body. And that's invaluable. And it's one of the things uh, Mustafi doesn't have. He, he has the arm coming back across his body. He's the guy who may end up on the ground. And uh, I'm not going to beat up on Mustafi because I still think it's early days and we need to see him within the Leave system. That to me. When he, yeah, when he when he develops his confidence in his partnerships, uh, um, he he would. I don't think he'll ever be my first choice centre back for an established team, but uh, maybe maybe he can still be a very useful pairing. And right now he's all we got till because Shelney comes back. Um, so I don't want to beat up on him too hard, but I mean Socrates, if he if he can extrapolate these two games into a season, I think we're in very very good shape. Yeah, and to your point, I mean once you start pegging people, they're not going to want to come into your area anymore after that. I mean, you know if he's yeah. if he's pegging people, that that's going to keep them away probably. Plus they might find it difficult to walk. Um, Clive, that that's that's a fetish joke for you guys listening who don't know okay. about it. Um, Clive, <laughs> you know we're we're. 28 minutes into this. I just about know what a fetish is, for God's sake. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you're, you're the prude of the podcast, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> we're 28 minutes in, and a, apart from uh, some great contributions from Paul, we haven't really touched on Torreira that much, um, despite the fact this is his first start for the club. So, you know, I think it says a lot about the opposition that his involvement probably wasn't decisive, but I'm curious to see if there are any little um, insights that you gleaned that maybe the rest of us lay people missed. <laughs> oh wow so um yeah it's quite interesting to commentary uh we have a guy over here called robbie savage that commentates and um yeah he's a real bright guy from what i understand yeah and he was he was <laughs> criticizing hair, him 
he was criticising him for receiving the ball off the back for two and for coming too deep. He seemed and, to think uh, he was a number 10, didn't he? Yeah, I don't know. I, li- I listened to his stuff and I just do. It does, you know what? He was wearing number 11. Maybe he thought that was still Mesut Ozil. He does my head in. And um, it's... It's, it's, it's maybe something we just have to calm down on in general, you know. I, I, I found it's not good for the, the brand, tweets? but okay. Do you remember the tweets um, when we played Boreham Wood when uh, Socrates got beat on the dead ball line? Everyone goes, "Well, Socrates is useless." What terrible by that is? That's for the first preseason game in uh, my late July at Boreham Wood, when he's probably ran about three yards in preseason training. <laughs> we just got to relax a bit. We got to relax a bit and just let this. Let this ferment a little bit longer. Torreira is going to be a top player for us in that position, in front of the back four, and he knows exactly what he's doing. And I'm just watching his range of skills. And when you see this opposition, he gets a chance to swing the ball out over distances. He can still go into his tackles, but he, he was a little bit. He got a couple of kicks early, so he wasn't really having to fire in because they weren't good enough to test him. But he's showing you his heart, isn't he? He's showing you his personality, regardless of. He his tried execution. to get a ball off a defender from the ground by heading it off their yeah. foot. I mean, he's he, he, did that, he did that in the world. He did that in the World Cup. I remember. And, yeah. um, and and then you think to yourself, you know what? That entry it didn't look great, but there was no way he was coming off. And um, your grinds have to. Special mentality, and, and we've got one at our club, and I think it's, I think it's going to be great to watch him throw himself next two or three years. I guarantee you, that kid in two three years time will have the pick of the clubs in the world where he wants to go. That's the idea. Those, <laughs> those players like that are they don't come along every minute. They really don't. And um, he's going to be a leader of our team in the middle of the pitch. He's, and that's it's the sort of player you build a team around because his, his skill sets are so obvious that they demand that you put some people around him that do the things that he can't do because he's going to run your team for you. And so, um, so yeah, I, I look forward to watching him grow over the next, not you know what I like? physically grow, but grow over the next couple of years. No, he's not going to physically grow. <laughs> he, he should have done that earlier in his life. But listen, I, we have so many Goldilocks players in our team. You know what I mean? Like, well, Aubameyang really only likes to play number nine. Nozo only really likes to play number 10. And Ramsey really has to be a box-to-box eight. And none of them really play wide. And, you know, all these players that were always, you know, Shaq is good if you can just put this kind of guy next to him or that kind of Torreira seems like the kind of central midfielder that anyone you put next to him is going to be fine that he can that he can clean up defensively if it's a more progressive midfielder that he can you know play the wall pass that he can be more progressive he can carry the ball through midfield that he's a little bit press resistant like he's got just enough range of qualities to play with anyone that's why I think you could put Ramsey next to him you could put Shaka next to him. You could put Guendouzi next to him, and I think it would work. Mkhitaryan next to him. Um, and there, and therein lies the definition of a good player. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't kind need... of like a mini James Milner, isn't he? I yeah, it's, very it's... mini. Yeah, very mini. And but by the way, let me just stop you. The reason Paul brings that up is over on the Twitter side of things. I have basically been hand waving James Milner as a waste of space, which I have been told is is a terrible opinion. But you know what? Won't won't be my last. Um, let's move on. I I don't want to get uh, bogged down because. This is just Vorskla we're, we're analyzing here. Um, let's talk substitutes a little bit uh, that made a difference. And by the way, quick mention for Danny Welbeck. Did fine, scored a goal, good for him. Um, let's talk Ganduzi. I thought this was a different Ganduzi when he came on in this game, and it's the Ganduzi that excited us in preseason. He was very progressive. Uh, he was driving forward. He was making incisive passes. The pass he makes to Ozil, in the left half space at the top of the box was really sensational. And, and Ozil just gets a little too deep with it and isn't able to, to turn that into a goal. But 
Paul, I mean, did you see a little bit of a different Ganduzi when he came in in this game? To me, it looked more, uh, a little less fearful, a little less conservative. It did, but I think it's a bit of the Wobi effect in that this was a game he had more space. I mean, he's been pinned back to Chaka trying to get the ball out of our deep midfield against Premier League teams for the last couple of games. And, you know, I guess in some ways he's, he's just a more conservative player uh, because that's the nature of the beast. Um, we saw Chaka suddenly freed up when Torreira was on. And we probably need Torreira plus Ganduzi to see the Ganduzi we saw tonight against somebody like a Newcastle. Um, because, you know, a, a Newcastle is going to sit back and keep it pretty tight and uh, make you work for it. Uh, have, two, have two forwards back in, screening in front of Chaka and Ganduzi. And it wasn't until we brought Torreira on that we saw Chaka freed up to suddenly start uh, pumping the passes around the place. I think Ganduzi, you know, the next time we see Ganduzi, we'll probably see the Ganduzi we saw against Newcastle, where, you know, it's narrow, narrow gains, narrow opportunities, a couple of times in the game to do something. And if you make the great, the right decision, okay, you look like a star, but 90, 95% of what you're doing is just kind of graft and moving it forward. Um, It'll be interesting the day we see Torreira and Ganduzi if that frees him up a little bit to do something. Yeah, um, I, I wonder yeah. if Ganduzi is instructed when he's playing with Shaka that you're kind of the you're the safe option and Shaka's the progressive option. I, I don't know if that's a, a real strategy or if I've just invented it, but there's definitely a, a desire for him to drift a little wider, to play to the center backs a little more in these Premier League games that we've seen. And tonight, bringing the ball up the pitch always looking to beat a man if if he was under pressure, play play the forward pass, be progressive. And that's the stuff where I think he can be really special. We don't need uh, that sort of El Nenny-esque figure on the pitch and we can come to him, him yeah. a bit. And Clyde. having no DM means there's kind of splitting that DMing between him and Chak, and we know Chak is vulnerable. I just think it pegs Genduzi back. But. Stop pegging people, please. <laughs> this is trying to be a PG, PG or maybe PG-13 podcast. Clive, um... Yeah, your thoughts on Ganduzi? Google that. It's, it's quite do simple. not Google pegging, <laughs> unless you're ready to delete your browser history. And not you know, not there's anything wrong with it. Clive, Ganduzi, please save us. Yeah, I just I just thought his starting position was was better. I think he's a drifter. I think he drifts to the right. It may be an instruction with Bellerin vacating a lot, but I think he drifts to the right too much, and I think it leaves us open. I thought today he was more central, and when he's when he's nearer moments and instances and things are going to happen then he can get there because he can he's got he does travel quite nicely he goes to ground quite nicely and he's he's just got a bit of flourish about him he looked to they weren't so good so he looked quicker he stepped them he stepped through the lines nicely and when he came on they were tired so he looked more progressive but i was looking at his starting position and he stayed in the heart of the pitch if you watch when Torreira comes on with Shaka, he's never more than 10 yards away. And so I think Granduzzi makes that 20 yards. And I just think he creates, he just creates instances and good teams will pop straight through it. So the player is good. He's 19. He's, he's, he's seeing a lot of minutes ahead of people that potentially are ahead of him. But they trust him. They see something in him. Great personality. Easy stuff to coach, right? 
where your starting position is, your average position, this one where you to stand, these are your distances. When you get that right, you can play, no problem with that. But if you're in the wrong position, you're now running back 20 yards and you don't look so good. So be in position to get the ball in the front foot and, and transition. And I thought he was much better than that tonight. So maybe in the next few games, when we do see him, whatever minutes we see him for, just keep your eye on that. Is he central? Is he really only in the centre of the pitch? Because if he is, that's another that's another tick in the box for uh, our recruitment team for sure. Yeah, agreed. Um, a couple other little quick quick hits. Emil Smith Rowe gets on. Good for him. Um, maybe could have gotten a goal. I don't think he put a foot wrong. I don't think he did. You know, a, an unbelievable amount in the game, but certainly a nice little cameo for him and good for his development. His to close continue. controls really impressive. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, you know, I think uh, I think Clive's point is a good one that we'll probably see in Kedia against Brentford uh, on Wednesday. So they each get a shot in one of these games. Mm-hmm. It'd be nice to see them get a shot in both of these games, but so be it. Um, Lick Steiner obviously started tonight. I, I thought he ha- he was fine, not great, fine certainly, but then he has the error that leads to their first goal, although a little uh, p- harshly punished by a center back from that position. And then there's the the goal at the at the death. So let's touch on those for a minute, Paul. I mean. Does it take any gloss off this for you, the fact we conceded two, and do you want to push and blame for either of them? Uh, it does take some gloss off. It It was a shame. You know, you're cruising at 4-0. Uh, you're feeling good. There's the positive vibe. And then you remind yourself that basically anybody can score against you at the moment. Uh, and we got to fix that. I mean, this is at the Emirates. It needs to become perhaps a fortress is a strong word, but... Certainly something that was built with something stronger than Ikea furniture. And, well, the um, first goal is sort of a fluky one in the sense that Licksteiner yeah. just kind of loses it under his feet and then it's slammed into the corner by a center back. The second one is a little bit shameful because we just weren't professional. We thought the ref was going to blow up, the game's over. We've gotten and, sloppy, you know, yeah. yeah. And I'd already decided it was cruel of the referee to allow them three minutes <laughs> when we were 4-0 up and trouncing them. And then it was 4-1, I'm like... Uh, you know, I'm surprised he didn't just pick two minutes and the bugger's gone, put another one in the back of the net. Yeah, I saw some criticisms of Leno, which is another interesting topic in terms of how his game went. Uh, I I would say I thought Licksteiner was actually very good throughout the game. Um, you know, I'm kind of thinking to myself, he, he really does have a case to give Bellerin a good run for that spot. I mean, he, he looks fast, fit, strong. He's clever. He's savvy. It's a shame the goal kind of will be marked down against him. Uh, and maybe some people will point a finger at Leno too. Um, but I just think it was more a bit of how much space there is in a game like this, not just for them, but unfortunately also for us. You, we're just not as tight suddenly under pressure when they come at us in the few times they do that in the game. So, um, yeah, it's on Licksteiner, but it's also just a little bit on us. Yeah. Kind of w- beginning to wind down i felt which is which is a shame i agree i it doesn't take too much gloss off it for me but it's an annoyance clive did you see anything from leno that gave you any kind of indication of how we should feel about him i mean this is not a game for evaluating a goalkeeper and he concedes too but the first one is unsavable the second one the angles i saw made it look like it went right down the center i have been reliable reliably informed it's in the corner I, yeah, I can't, he couldn't I can't save, say. He couldn't save I, it. He, yeah. he couldn't save either of them, mate. He couldn't. And obviously, we're all looking at his kicking initially, weren't we? So, um, so the first time he gets the ball, he he looks comfortable, 
And if you notice, when he punches it out to the fullback, he then he, he then runs after it to get into a position to get it back again. And that's what makes a player feel comfortable because they're, they're preparing themselves for the path they know that's coming. So when it comes to him, he's already in the right shape to just receive it on the back foot and go out the other side. It's just simple footballer stuff that midfielders do all the time, but goalkeepers don't. Whereas when Czech passes it, he passes it slow, he gets it back and he wants to touch it and stop it dead. When you stop it dead, you give people a target to come and press. So it's just little basics of a footballer versus non-footballer. Then he chips the ball into that middle third, exactly the pass that Czech hasn't got, that chip pass, and we're off and running. He, he looks very good for me. He was showing this, off a bit, wasn't he, Clive? Yeah, he was making sure everyone knows he's got a few. He's got a backspin chip into the middle of the pitch. Thank <laughs> you. I saw that, mate. Undercut that into the middle. Very nice. But you know what? You let two into your net. You're picking it up and, and rubbing your gloves. So, so that that just keeps you back on your heels. Like I said before, Elliot, he's 26 and one's 36. So he's going to be our goalkeeper one day. It's just a matter of time, really. So, um, I, I like I like the look of him actually. Okay. Um, more if you compare him to the 70 million pound Chelsea goalkeeper that I can't remember his name but you know I'm looking at Lena I'm thinking well I don't see much difference there you know I think you're more experienced you're better value and you can play the type of football that modern teams are playing so I'll let's, let's see how he goes all right so uh Paul yeah pegging fetish Jesus no. Christ you, you looked it up didn't you yeah. Oh, sorry. No. Um, uh, so yeah. Uh, hey, I no. I... No. I. I don't want to hear your opinion on Leno. I, I'm okay. changing gears. Um, what do you expect to be the lineup this weekend for Everton at home? Oh fuck. Um, I've no idea. Um, I want it to be Mkhitaryan on the right. That's a key decision, which impacts either. At the moment, it looks like like you can't drop Lacazette. I think uh, Adrian Clark made that point very. Uh, I mean, I strong. I could, but no one's paying me to be the Arsenal manager for reasons that totally uh, escaped me. So you you could drop him for this game at the moment? Yeah. Jesus Christ. I, look, I, I don't... It, it's, here's the, here's my thing, right? It's not that I don't think Lacazette is You're very good. much in the Mourinho mode, I aren't you? I think Lacazette is a brilliant player. I still think Yang at center forward with Mkhitaryan on the right and Awobi on the left is our best, most balanced use of our attacking talent. I would put Ozil at 10, Ramsey and Torreira in central midfield. That's how I'd set us up. Now, if uh, you want okay, to put Lacazette out there, put him out there with Aubameyang as two up front. I can't okay, help but, the fact that I think Aubameyang is a better striker than Lacazette. I know there are people that disagree with me. But 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 So you're doing the... the you've assembled the team, and you're going to announce it, and you're Emery at this point in his Arsenal fledgling career and you're going to drop Lacazette after last week. Can I give you a counterpoint? This is the same guy who's picked Ganduzi and Shaka as central midfield from the start of the season when Torreira is sitting on the bench. I mean, he's had the courage to do that. You know, but he to didn't pick... drop Torreira. No, I get. Look, I'm you're, not saying you're Lacazette drop... deserves to be dropped. And by the way, I'm not saying he will. I don't think he will. And I realize if you want to have a meritocracy, you have to pick the players that are performing for you. So, I, I'm, uh, I'm, and you got to transition. It's got to. It's got to seem fair. Um. Because there's nothing special about this game that you could turn around to Lacazette at home at the Emirates and say, <laughs> "Well, he's Sorry, clearly not going to do it." I, look, he, no, I'm See, telling I, you what I, I would do. Go, go ahead. Let, 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 let's let Clive Emirates. argue. Uh, Clive, argue. Yeah, I'm just saying. I actually think Aubameyang is a better striker than Lacazette. So do I. But, yeah. but, 
for the team, what this team needs right now, it needs a player like Lacazette to get them going, right? So as they're finding their shape, pattern and distances and and everything else about this team is all about learning new partnerships and different ways of playing. This team needs Lacazette. It needs it, right? And then uh, it needs the both of them. But it needs Lacazette right now. And maybe in time when we have different players in the wide areas where that build-up and devastation can be shared, then I think we can decide who, if it's going to be okay, one man, okay. it's going to be. But then you know what? I'd drop Aubameyang then. I know it. Look, if he's going to play Aubameyang yeah, but, wide left, well, I'd rather you, he why go. Why would you do that? Why because, would you do because that? I, personally, I, mean, man, I don't think Aubameyang has been right. very effective coming from that wide forward position. I, re- I know he scored the one goal against Cardiff. It was from the top of the box. It's a volley. Other than that, his XG has been much, much lower than you expect. He hasn't been ch- getting chances, taking shots. Matter. That doesn't matter. Sometimes you have to think about... Take a, take take your head away from statistics and say to yourself, "Okay, I'm the opposition manager. What do I want Arsenal to do, or what don't I want them to do?" I I, like, I I want them to play a guy on the left wing who's not suited out there, who leaves them defensively vulnerable, but also is a six out of ten attacking from that position. So, I mean, and you know, you know, because I know you know your numbers. You know that his numbers are down, but from a team perspective, we're scoring twos and threes every single game, so it's working. It's not working maybe to the percentile you want to see. Do you think our attacking potential- performances have been good? Just, just, just off. I mean, like the that first half this past weekend for example i mean that's about as incoherent as it gets you were on the halftime show i yeah, i remember I doing it with you <laughs> and um and yeah i i think we've we've looked good in patches right and and that's it we've looked good in patches throughout the whole season it's i'll, I'll, I'll say something on, on the back channel today or maybe on twitter it's quite hard to to judge us at the moment because we're playing either teams who are very bad <laughs> or teams who are very good and it's another example of a very bad team that we managed to put away. It's a good point. We're not uh, playing like Watford or someone that's competent oh. but not great. We we played some terrible teams and we played you know a couple of really good ones and nothing in the middle. A, I, I by the way, I just want to say I'm not trying to be argumentative. By the way, I I totally see the argument for starting uh, Lacazette and keeping Aubameyang wide left. It's not for me. It doesn't look like that's really been cohesive and I, I'm not sure it works. But I totally understand the reason for doing it. So I, I don't want it to sound like I'm being argumentative and. Um, I got, uh, and I would say yeah, go ahead, that, Paul, until we see Torreira in midfield, uh, maybe it won't change anything. Maybe it won't move the needle. But until we see that with the various lineups, because our midfield doesn't quite make sense at the moment. And if your midfield doesn't, you're not feeding the attacking line. And, you know, we looked a lot better in the second half against Newcastle. Maybe, maybe that's a one-off. Maybe yeah. maybe that's just the Torreira effect and it doesn't doesn't make Aubameyang work or not work. But until we get some kind of supply lines going with Chaka pumping the ball forward and us having some coverage, um, now, you know, will we see Torreira start? You know, in terms of lineup, I want Torreira to start. I want Mkhitaryan on the right. And I'm back to trial and error on the other guys. But yeah. that, those seem to be two key pieces for me. The fact you that Ramsey was see- rested all together tonight, I mean, we certainly yeah, suspect sure. he's he's playing on Sunday unless he's injured. Clive, come back. I was just going to say, you know, he, he's trying things out, isn't he? If you notice yeah. in the game where um, Socrates has played um, right centre half in this game, he normally plays left centre half. In the second half, they just swapped over for a bit. Swap over. 
have some fun, see what happens, you know, and, and holding plays on the right side, right? What I would like to see, Elliot, which maybe you, you haven't mentioned, but I would think it would be nice for Aubameyang and Lacazette just to rotate now and again. Lacazette goes left. He's played part of his career out wide, and he coming from the outside, just rotate. He did some of that problems. in the preseason. We haven't seen it this yeah. season, but he did mm. some in the preseason. Exactly, and he did some of that some of last season. He had a couple of periods where he went wide for a period, and all he does is keep people guessing. And I just think we just need to get those two on the pitch. We haven't got to choose, but they need to be cute about their what they do on the pitch and how they cross over and swap and and just cause problems. You and, just and can't especially leave that. with the vacuum on the right side, the right wing spot of Mikatarin isn't playing. That's a natural place for uh, Lacazette to drop off to, inviting. Yeah. Obama Yang in. There's different things they could do, and and maybe as you say, especially with Torreira well able to find a pass, and him being on the right side of that midfield pairing. To your point on trial and error, there's so many things. You know, we're writing off all sorts of options at the moment, and we shouldn't. It'll be, I'm maybe it won't be better with Torreira and Chaka, but it it'll be different, and that'll give us other combinations. Back to trial and error, there are all sorts of things that we're go- that we can see with. Uh, Torreira to the right, finding, say, Ozil off the right wing or uh, Lacazette finding it a profitable area to drop off to to pick up the ball from Torreira on that side because, you know, he will put, as we've seen today, he'll he'll have his head up, he'll pick out a pass and he'll ping it quickly. So there's some new combinations to come from that right side that might change our thinking a little bit. Yeah, look, I think we know based on what happened tonight or we we, we can infer that Torreira will not start again, that it will be Shaka and Ganduzi, that Ramsey will start, that Ozil will start, that Mkhitaryan will be back to the bench, that it will be back to the bench. So, you know, I mean, all this conjecture aside, and, and this is good debate, hot debate, we like fresh, hot debate, um, especially because we have some of the masters of it here. So it's it's really master debate. Um, I but, think, um, but, but yes, I, think I was, I was, I was wrapping that, up there, but you, you go, you. you go do your thing what? now. Oh, sorry, mate. One no, last you thing, go, mate. you go. There, there, there are lots of players that have been bought this year that haven't really featured much this season. I think Liverpool got a fifty million pound holding midfielder that's barely started in Fabinho, and and I'm sure they want to see him, but he's not started yet. They they benched Naby Keita in the week. I thought, wow, that's interesting. I mean, we just got to get used. It's it's September. Relax, my son. This is going to take time to form, and then when it does, we'll all see it. We'll all see it. Telling me to relax is like telling the sun not to come up in the morning. It's not <laughs> happening. Um, uh, predict score prediction, Paul. Uh, I think we're going to peg Everton. Absolutely peg them. <laughs> it's so <laughs> awful from behind, <laughs> which is the only way you can peg anybody. Apparently. <laughs> Can you give me a score prediction, please? <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. Um, we always concede, so I'll go with 3-1. Is uh, that Clive? a pegging? That's not a pegging. A Cl- pegging Cl- would be 17-0, I think. Clive. <laughs> I'll just say 2-1 and go back onto mute. <laughs> uh, well, all right. Don't go back onto mute yet because I want to ask you something. Are you... You'll um, be mute after we've pegged Everton. Clive, um, I know you are a so huge ever- NBA fan. Um are yeah. you, do you know who Shams uh, Charania is? The guy who breaks a lot of huge stories, huge news in the NBA. Who? Sorry, uh, who? Shams. Shams Charania. I don't know. Sorry, yeah, no, yeah, I, I know Woj. Are you, yeah, and Shams know, is sort yeah. of the other Woj. Um, you, okay. you know who he is, Paul? No. Okay. Well, no. The, re- the no. The reason I bring it bring it up is just uh, I have started writing for a website called The Athletic. I don't know if you guys heard about this. Um, yeah. I have an article that's coming out. I just submitted it. It is about Ivan Gazidis, his time at Arsenal, and what it means with him moving on. But 
Um, the reason I brought it up is I know you love the NBA, and their NBA writing is second to none. But so uh, oh. if if people don't know that. about the Athletic, um, it is a subscription website, but no ads, no pop-ups, no autoplay ads. I just had this conversation uh, earlier today with someone else, basically saying how the internet has become just a steaming pile of garbage, trying to find something that's worth reading, worth consuming, other than this obvious, obviously this phenomenal podcast. Um, and I, I have fallen in love with The Athletic. The, the writing is exceptional. There's 700 new articles uh, every single week across all the sports. The guy who uh, ran The Howler, George Qureshi, he is the editor-in-chief on the football side for The Athletic. Um, Graham Hunter writes for them. Uh, Gunner Blog writes for them. But they, they really are the best at what they do, and the articles there are, are fantastic. So they have actually uh, said that we can offer a special deal for anybody who wants to give them a try. So if you go to The Athletic forward slash Arsenal Vision, You'll get a free trial, first of all, and then you get 30% off if you continue beyond that. So the athletic Special promo code, as I understand it, is pegging? No, no, you've ruined it. You've ruined it, as usual. Um, but but it is theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal Vision. None of what Paul said is, is real or true. Go there. Go try it. The, the stuff is awesome. Uh, and, and I promise that when I write for them, it is free of some of the uh, – uh, insane rantings that you hear from me here on on the Twitters, but the other writers uh, absolutely phenomenal, and you're just going to get the best in depth coverage. You're not not going to get clickbait. You're not going to get listicles. You're not going to get transfer rumor nonsense. It's just good, clean family fun, and sometimes not family fun. But in any event, go there, theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal Vision. In any event, we are going to take a break. When we come back, Tim is going to be on. That's right, the Tim, the Tim Stillman, Stilberto, uh, finally decided to show up for an Arsenal match. We're going to ask him what he thought of it. Uh, until then, Paul's on Twitter at Paws My Pants. Thanks, Paws. Woohoo. Clive's on Twitter at Clive P-A-F-C. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. We'll take a break. We'll talk about a little bit of beer. You want beer. You need beer. You want me on that beer. You need me on that beer. You can handle the beer. You're going to hear about that uh, and some music, and then we'll be back with Tim. Stay with us. But right now, it's time to tell you about our favorite monthly craft beer discovery club. In fact, it is the world's most popular craft beer discovery club, beer52.com. You're going to want to go to beer52.com forward slash vision right now. The reason you're going to want to do that is you're going to get a free case of craft beer. Free a free case of craft beer. You're even going to get a copy of Ferment Magazine and a snack. So you're getting all that for free. Just pay £2.95 shipping and you'll be upgraded to free next day shipping, which is great. Eight incredible craft beers, a magazine, a snack, no-brainer. And I know all about no-brainers. Trust me, I have no brain. In any event, this is a chance for you to discover some of the best beers from around the world. And right now you get to take advantage of uh, the Raise the Bar competition, Beer 52 search for the UK's best new small brewers in partnership with the London Craft Beer Festival. So you'll enjoy the likes of Unity's 7% Export Stout, Boxcar's Belgian IPA, and West by 3's Mothership with Passion Fruit. It's only available in the UK, which makes me very sad, but if you live in the UK, it should make you very happy because by going to beer52.com forward slash vision, not only do you make us happy podcasters, but you make yourself a happy owner of free craft beer. And so that is obvious. By the way, uh, one thing we love about beer52.com, they have a five-star rating on Trustpilot, so you know you are going with a very trustworthy company. Again, the most popular monthly craft beer delivery service, so take advantage of it. Beer52.com forward slash vision. Go there right now. Get your free case of craft beer. You're going to love it. Okay, we're back, and now we are with the star of the show. That is Tim Stillman. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. 
Hello there. Great to talk to you. Um, you were at the Emirates after a weekend off. Let's let's just quickly get your reaction. How was the wedding, and what was it like not to be at the Newcastle game? <laughs> it, it wasn't as strange as I thought it would be, actually, um, to be honest with you. We had um, – so the game kind of happened during the uh, – so the like the ceremony happened like 2 o'clock, and it was 3 o'clock kickoff in the UK. So around about the time the game started was the fizz and nibbles bit, you know, the champagne and the uh, – and the nibbles and, and all of that. So, like, it, it was quite nice. So there was enough going on, but I could check the score whenever I wanted. Um, so, yeah, it was it was actually uh, it was it was um, easier than I thought it would be, actually. I'm going to let you know that uh, in the earlier segment of the podcast, there was quite a lot of discussion of pegging. And since that's where my mind was, I uh, I thought you said fizz and nipples. And I just <laughs> I was just worried where this podcast is headed. But thankfully, that was not the case. Hopefully, you're not going to make a habit of it, though. Um, you were there tonight. And yeah. I think it's fair to say it was a sparsely attended um europa league tie so i just want to get your sense i mean how big a deal is it for the club generally and for the direction we want to go that the attendances are 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 as poor as i mean what what was the atmosphere like and what is it like to be at a half empty emirates stadium for a game like this yeah i mean there was no atmosphere really um and you know quite understandably for quite obvious reasons there wasn't much of an away following um although what was there was was noisy for what it was um and quite excitable but not usually on european nights even if the emirates is a bit you know in a bit of a lull you have some fairly lively away fans but you know for games like this there there isn't a big uh, traveling contingent so yeah the the atmosphere was was like the stadium sparse um let's face it it's a secondary competition that not that many people are interested in and let's face it even in the champions league um group stage football is the worst football um out there it's um, especially when there's no suspense when you know you're going through i mean in the champions yeah. league you can make an argument that there was a chance we might not get out of the group although we were spoiled by doing it every year for 27 years yeah. but, but in this case there's no worry of that but then even in the Champions League, I can only think of um, probably from about, I don't know, 2004, 2005 onwards, I can think of two times where the group stage was remotely exciting. And there was there was the year we got Dortmund, Napoli and Marseille. So we were in the kind of group of death. So you thought, oh, OK, it's it's not like it's not a given that we're going to go through here. And then, of course, two years later, we made the group exciting. We had by, the great escape. <laughs> yeah, exactly. By losing the first two games and then having that, that brilliant Bayern game at the Emirates. That Bayern game at the Emirates is one of the few times I can remember any group stage goal where, you know, whether a goal celebration was a proper kind of air puncher. Yeah, um, it's you know group stages that they're, they're universally rubbish even in the Champions League because the games they lack consequence and without you know I th- I think for me if you take away jeopardy consequence tension all of those things then football is is just you know it's just a series of friendlies and uh but then again I I, th- I kind of tend to think that's where football's going anyway but, um but you we'll have... still have compelling podcasts let's uh <laughs> let's be careful indeed, where we're going with indeed. this um and, and just out of curiosity just really really quickly i mean had this been a wednesday night game against vorskla in the group stage of the champions league do you think it would have been any better attended how much of this is that's europa slightly. league and how much of it is the just the opposition in the the nature of the group stage it's it's probably the opposition and the nature of the group okay. stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. So one of the things we were talking about earlier, and I think it is a discussion that could potentially become one of the themes of the season, is how we get 
the most out of the wide forward positions. I thought mm. Mkhitaryan and Awobi were very influential tonight. We already did the caveat, yep. Tim, earlier in the, the podcast that, yeah, yeah, it's terrible opposition, and maybe you can't learn anything from playing mm. this kind of opposition, but we're going to draw conclusions anyway, because what else are we yeah. going to do? You, um, can, you can learn stuff from playing right. these games, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, given that we've acknowledged the caveats, I mean, it does appear that we are a more coherent attacking force when those wide forward positions are taken up by players that look at least marginally comfortable mm. occupying those spaces uh, in Mkhitaryan and Awobi. How much are you leaning towards the idea that using Aubameyang and Ozil in those positions, although they may be the superior players on talent, is not the superior tactic for us in terms of building an attack? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, listen, I've, I've said since June, um, a, a big player is going to have to sit down um, at some point and probably permanently. Um, I, I happen to think that I, I really take your point on the last podcast that Lacazette is probably the one who's performing because he's the only one playing in the position he wants to play in. Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> um, that, but there again, Aubameyang had the first three games up front um, and and didn't look fantastic. Um, let let me just cut across honest. you for one second. I think against City, you can almost throw out you yourself yeah, said yeah, that. Yeah. But, but against Chelsea, that narrative could be very different if he has two finishes that you'd expect he him to put scores. away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's quite true. Um, but yeah, listen, he's he's going to have to make a big a big decision, maybe two. Um, I I I think like you think that Mkhitaryan pretty much has to start, um, and that's something I I wrote about a little bit in the summer actually that I I thought he would become an important player purely because as we saw tonight, he's I mean he's not even really I don't think I think if you sat down and said which position would you most like to play in because he's a footballer he'll just go oh someone near the center number 10 because all footballers are <laughs> want to be in the center of the pitch stupidly <laughs> obsessed with being in the center all the time even if it's not their best position but he's the only one who's remotely comfortable as a wide forward and he's not really like you know he's not a winger is he he's 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 a decent wide forward he can play in that half space very well um I, I think he has to play because he Give us, he gives a structure, and um, he's he's not quite as good as Özil. I don't think he's maybe quite as good as Ramsey or Aubameyang, um, but he, you know, he's he's like a piece of scaffolding. Um, he kind of holds it together, and and he's you know he's not like Mr. Chalk on the boots, but he's he's kind of all right um, out there. And I, I think the other reason I felt like he'd become an important player is one of the things I like about him. He's a bit of a jack of all trades. He's got a bit of everything. Um, he can run with the ball. He's got two good feet. He can shoot. He can pass. Um, he's good in tight spaces. His touch is good. You know, he's he's he doesn't excel at any one thing, but he's quite good at everything. And I think if you've got a forward line with, you know, supreme talents like Aubameyang or Ozil, I think having someone like that really centers things quite nicely. Um, a bit like at uh, the beginning of not last season, the season before, where we had that front three of uh, Walcott, Alexis and Iwobi. And uh, it was the best football Iwobi's ever played for Arsenal. And it's not because he's super talented. It's just he gave a little bit of structure and centred Walcott and Alexis a little bit. He, he gave a little bit of um, a little bit of something that they don't, a little bit of structure. Yeah, Compl- um, complementary players. It just makes ex- sense, exactly, right? <laughs> exactly. And and I think that's kind of what you saw tonight, really. Um, and even a bit again, yeah, the, this is where the, the opposition caveat comes in. But even Aubameyang, yeah, p- particularly in the first half, not many touches, but he looked a little bit more comfortable with two guys whose primary job was to try and feed him. 
um, at every opportunity and you could see Awobi was looking for him all the time in particular. Him and Mkhitaryan already have a really good relationship. Um, and, and you know, he I don't know, he looked a little bit happier with that, even if he still, I don't know how many touches he had tonight. I don't think it was that many, but he still looked a bit more menacing because he had that kind of structure around him where he was the centerpiece. He was the one uh, around whom everything was built. And I think Mkhitaryan and Awobi are good struts. They're good, they're good servants, you know, they're good servants mm-hmm. for... Yeah that type of player a bit like Welbeck is Welbeck's a bit like that Welbeck if you put him up front and tell him to lead the line he looks absolutely lost almost useless but if you put him with a like a a really assertive character and say right this is the guy we've built around go and help him he's brilliant at that and um I, I think that's the mix that we've got to find we've got you know it's a bit Chiefs and Indians we've got we've got a few too many Chiefs in there at the moment I think and uh yeah, I so so I I thought I thought that was quite noticeable tonight, and I also thought it would be the tempo with which he played um, was really notable as well. Because there are times it won't be can look, shall we say, a little bit relaxed. Yeah. Um, you you didn't get that sense from him tonight, and maybe it's because he hasn't really been playing. He's he's not been in the team, but he looked like he had that extra kind of right. I've got to do something tonight, and uh, yeah. It's an interesting Awobi performance, right? Because he was influential and he he had an assist and I thought overall he made some really important contributions and at the same time he left a lot of meat on the bone, if you know what I mean. There were so many moments where I thought, ooh, he could have done better there. In fact, the assist Mkhitaryan has for Welbeck comes from Awobi having a little bit of a heavy touch into the box. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's just one of those Danny, or not Danny, um, similar players in some ways, Awobi games where really loved his involvement, really loved some of his end product, and still felt that there was there was room for him yeah. to, to influence the game more. I think it, this was a tough game to analyze Torreira in because they had so little threat. I mean, for a game where the yeah. opposition scored two goals, it's it's impossible to remember any attacking moves they really strung together. And so, yeah, yeah. you know, Torreira wasn't in there destroying things, which is ideally what we want him for, you know, intervening in, in opposition attacks. But were you able to draw any conclusions from his his first start for the club and, and you know, how, were you impressed with what you saw? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I don't think it was his most impressive. It was a solid seven out of 10. I, what I liked and what I think I'm going to like about him, because we haven't quite seen enough yet is that, uh, and everything I've, I've read um, is that he's got a creative side to his game as well. So because we're Arsenal fans and we've lacked this kind of player for ages, um, you know, we we play up the kind of the destroying qualities, True. and I think you guys had a really good discussion about how he freed Jacker um, in the Newcastle game, um, and you know how, and you know he's another one who's a bit of a strut for the midfield where there's a few free spirits. Um, but what I think what we saw tonight is that he's got a pass. Um, he's got like a nice lofted through ball. Um, he tried you know, to chip ball over of, the top a lot too, which yeah, you know yeah, gives you a sense of his confidence and his progressiveness. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It was. It, it's progressive um, passing. So, you know, we we know he can do that quick kind of one touch, almost Arteta like. Um, you know, not particularly fancy looking, but very useful forward, quick punching the ball forward passing. But he showed particularly from deep a creative side, and that's that's really important as well. Um, for the same reason, it's important when Jacker does it because he's going to be one of the few Arsenal players that gets a bit of time and space. Um, in that kind of area of the pitch, and if if he can, 
you know, listen, I'm not saying he should be doing it four or five times a game. Those are, those are really eye of the needle passes that are incredibly difficult to get right. But if he can do that once in a while to open up a defense, then all the better. Yeah, and I think he's a player who can be paired with a variety of different kinds of players. And we've, we've mm-hmm. spoken so often about how certain players only work in some positions with the right partners. It's nice to have a guy that looks versatile in terms of who he could work with and, and what he can contribute mm-hmm. in the middle of the park. Um, we already covered Socrates and talked about the impressiveness of his performance. I think he's sort of um, uh, inspired people with more confidence than than maybe they had starting mm-hmm. the season. Do you feel the same about his recent performances and in particular the one tonight? Yeah, yeah. I, I liked him from the start, actually. I think um, maybe it was after the West Ham podcast. I said he, he kind of reminded me a bit of Colo Torre. I, I still get the feeling that maybe he's not, you know, general um you know in defense that he's not like the guy that organizes and leads and, no and problem. I still we've think... got mustafi for that <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly and so i i think you know i i think him next to like peak mertesacker or peak kashelny uh although i'm not particularly sure kashelny's an equal uh, uh an organizer but you know socrates next to like mertesacker six years ago would have would have been really quite interesting i, ju- I just really like him because i think He's a defender that seems to really like defending. He seems to like really get a kick out of a tackle, a block, winning an aerial ball. He's he's quite pumped. Um, you know, he's absolutely furious when the referee balls him up for free kicks. And you know, I th- I, I feel like Arsenal have had quite a lot of like quite nice defenders um, over the years. E- even Koscielny, to a degree, um, is is quite nice you know you you couldn't see him like headbutting someone in a dark alley put it that way whereas Socrates is a, is a guy I wouldn't cross you know and um but I, but I think he uses that aggression really well he doesn't just go around kicking people or like thumping his chest he's it's like a really nice he's aggressive for the ball he's hungry for the ball and uh and I really like that he's basically he kind of looks at the moment like um, you know those times when Mustafi does those sliding tackles, but he gets it right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think I've seen that once or twice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of look, and you think, oh, okay, that's good. Yeah. But but you know, in the back of your mind, with Mustafi, it's like, yeah, I know, I know you're going to do that like another fifty times and really not get it right. Whereas with Socrates, I think his his judgment looks fairly good. So yeah, he he really looks to be um, growing into this team, and and I think. We need a, a leader um, at the back because, you know, Nacho is, as Arson said, a quiet leader. You know, Bellerin's not there yet. Mustafi's not a leader. Um, and so, you know, so- Socrates, it really looks to me like it's going to be up to him to kind of take on that role. I'm not sure how comfortable he is with it, but he's probably the best place to do it. Yeah, well, needs must. So man up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, and, you know, Koscielny's ahead of his ahead of schedule in terms of his uh, fitness, which is shocking. I mean, I, I have to admit, I thought that could be a career ender. So maybe mm. Koscielny will be back sooner rather than later, which would be helpful. And speaking of people being healthy and fit and avoiding injury, were you surprised that he risked players like Aubameyang, Nacho, Socrates, or Socrates? Socrates is, is too old to be risked at this point. <laughs> um, you know, some some of those guys, maybe even Torreira, for a game like this. I mean, we saw Arsene really rotate i mean hardly ever use any player that could be even considered a first teamer in the group stage last season and it was still enough to get by what's your reaction to the way he lined up 
I, I wasn't surprised. So Monreal, I absolutely thought would play because we don't really have any choice. I th- I thought Socrates would play alongside Holding. I did think that was. I thought he was going because I think Mavropanos uh, is injured um, at the moment, so he wasn't available. So he was going to play one of the senior centre halves. I thought it'd be Socrates just because he's slightly better and um, the Mustafi, and you know he he still needs to grow into this team a little bit um I, I wasn't that surprised actually because Emery did say a couple of days ago you know my idea is not to change 11 players um so I felt that there would be a couple of players I I was certain Torreira would start um I, I'm not saying I definitely thought Aubameyang was going to start but I thought one of Ramsey or Ozil or Aubameyang or someone like that would be in the team um, or Lacazette or someone. I, I I didn't feel like he was going to take all of the big players out. I did think he'd keep one or two in. I just didn't know which ones they'd be. So I'm, I'm not too... Like the back four was exactly as I expected. Goalkeeper exactly as I expected. The midfield two. It, it was just that front four. Like I thought definitely Awobi, definitely Welbeck, definitely Mkhitaryan. And then after that, I thought, you know, maybe one of Ozil, um, Aubameyang or Lacazette would play. I was a little more shocked, as you might have seen from my back-channel <laughs> reaction. I guess, I, you know, I said earlier, the way we suffered with injuries under Arsene Wenger and fitness concerns, I, I still have, I guess, a little bit of PTSD over that, and maybe I'm overly cautious. I guess the problem is now, though, as we look ahead to the weekend, um, it, it points to us just going back to what maybe hasn't looked like it's worked. I mean, Ganduzi and Shaka in midfield, Ozil right, Ramsey 10, Aubameyang left, and Lacazette up front. Based on the substitution patterns tonight in the lineup, I mean, do you see it going back to that? And how do you feel about it? Yeah, quite possibly I do. I, so the fact that he took Torreira off early gives me – because I, I thought Torreira will start tonight, but he won't start against Everton. The fact that he took him off early tonight gives me a little bit of pause for thought on that. The fact that he Was took there a worry of a knock, early, though, an injury? Or, or no, I, I, I could be wrong. I, I, I don't – not that I saw – um, okay. And and the fact that he took Aubameyang off definitely says to me that he's going to play on Sunday. The fact that he didn't even put Lacazette on, yeah, that says to me he's you know that Ramsey wasn't in the squad. So I think we can take it from that that all of those players are going to play. Um, and yeah, I, I I don't really know how I feel about it because I think you're right. It hasn't really been working. But I I think what Emery is trying to do is he's trying to delay making a big decision on a big player because he doesn't really know what he wants his team to be yet and he doesn't want to isolate or um, alienate anyone until he's absolutely sure that that's the person he doesn't want. He's already had a bit of a run-in with Ozil. You know, he's already, you know, he spoke about Ramsey, didn't he, in the opening weeks of the season, said, I think he needs to concentrate less on his contract. So there's, there's these frictions there and I think he understands well I think that one of those guys is probably going to have to go. Um, and let's face it, it's probably going to be Ramsey because his contract's up anyway. Yeah. But I, I think he, I think he's delaying until he has an idea of what he's got and what he wants. I think he's delaying pulling the trigger um, on one of those guys. So he, even with Ramsey going, I still think one of one more of those attackers might go. I wouldn't be that surprised. And I think while A, he doesn't know exactly who that is, and B, he doesn't have the players he actually wants. So maybe next summer he can say to one of the attackers, do you know what, not working, I'm going to sell you and I'm going to buy someone that is going to work. But obviously he can't do that now. So I, I, 
I feel like there's this kind of halfway house developed because you know if if he say if he drops Ozil now for three games and then all of and then decides that no actually this team really needs Ozil and now it's um, Aubameyang I don't want you know then you just piss everyone off yeah. so I, I think he's got we've seen it with the goalkeeper as well like he's got a lot of these little kind of political situations that he's got to figure out and uh, I wrote about this a few weeks ago I, I think that's his biggest challenge um, I really do well it's nothing compared to what he came from at PSG I would say that the real issue for me is Mkhitaryan and based on the fact that he played uh, was he on all 90 this match right he played the full match uh, yes yeah yes, I mean yeah. he's certainly not going to start the weekend for me he's the missing link he, mm. he adds a directness, um, the ability to play in that half space, as you alluded to, but also drift inside. He seems to re- recover from losing the ball well. He's energetic with the press. Mm. Um, I just, I think his energy, his directness, and his ability to be effective in those wide spaces and bring Hector Bellerin into the game is really important. So mm. I, I will be dismayed. Yeah, go ahead. And, and he gives us an actual right side. Yeah, we 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 have no right side when Mesut Ozil is in there. Yeah, we saw that uh, at the weekend, the first half against Newcastle. So yeah. it, it'll be a shame, I, I think. And look, this is the challenge, right? No one can argue that Ramsey, Ozil, Aubameyang, Lacazette is our most talented front four. It's just not our most coherent and effective front four. Yeah, and and that's really a challenge that the the coach has to, not manager coach has to work out. So just briefly before we wrap up, because it's pushing midnight or after midnight now, your time. Uh, good morning. <laughs> Do you have a prediction for the lineup on the weekend uh, at the weekend, and what do you expect result wise? So uh, I I think it will be fairly conservative. So I think you'll see Czech back, you'll see Mustafi back, you'll see Bellerin back. Um, I think the interesting thing is what he does. So, yeah, I think you'll see Lacazette up front, Aubameyang left, Ozil, Ramsey. And so then it comes down to the two in midfield. Well, one of them's going to be Xhaka because he wasn't in the squad tonight. I I think Torreira is going to start hmm, okay. on Sunday, actually. I, I think the fact that you took him off early um, indicates that it's it's finally time for Torreira. <laughs> <laughs> that is the worst hashtag Arsenal ever came up with. Um, re- Result-wise, result-wise, I'd still expect us to win. I I think this game will tell us a little bit more about where we actually are because we've had this weird start to the season where we've played two really good teams and then two really two three three like really terrible teams so we we haven't had like i th- i think everton will be like quite a good litmus test for us at this point it's a team we should beat and you know we beat them 5-0 um, by the way clive the said the exact year. same thing literally like almost <laughs> word for word um is richarlison still out from that red card i, I believe so. he is yeah, yeah. that's helpful yeah right? yeah because he's a yeah, player you yeah. can see hurting us, really hurting us. Theo Walcott, yeah. another player that I'm not super excited well, to this see. Well, is, this, this, is, this is where Everton will carry the threat. What, what they've done all of a sudden, after last year not having any wide forwards, now they've got loads of them. Um, so they've got Walcott, but also uh, Bernard. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that he'll start, but Bernard is, um, is the sort of player that could capitalise on, you know, he's shown a little bit of a weakness down the right when we don't protect Bellerin and uh, Bernard is, is a player who really likes that space. 
Um, he likes to come inside, but he's comfortable going outside and taking players on. So uh, I'm not convinced he'll start, but he's he's the sort of player that could give us um, give us some problems. Everton don't really have like a convincing centre forward, but they have some good wide forwards, and that's kind of an area where where we're a bit suspect so they did um, just lose to west ham so that's encouraging <laughs> yeah 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 precisely um, so you have a score prediction um i'm gonna say it's gonna be two nil to arsenal but maybe the second goal will be like last knockings predicting a clean sheet man that's that's confidence right there I, i'll tell you you know the interesting thing you talk about Torreira starting it would be ironic because i thought this performance from Genduzzi was one of his better ones this season admittedly against weak opposition but in the sense that mm. i feel he's been more conservative during the season than he was in the preseason and yeah. tonight he was very progressive he was very front-footed uh he had that beautiful pass to ozil that didn't result in a goal but he threaded it right into him in the half space at the top of the box so it'd be kind of ironic if he rediscovers some of his progressive passing and adventurous play and then winds up losing his spot finally to Torreira. <laughs> but you know it is time for Torreira. i tend to agree with that i'll let you go and get some sleep tim's on twitter Stilberto, thanks tim my pleasure as always all right my name is elliot smith you can block me on twitter yankee gunner leave us a five-star review support our patreon if you don't we love you anyway but if you do uh hugs and kisses your way uh patreon.com forward slash arsenal vision podcast tim's pre-Everton video may appear there. Tim, is that... We have yes. you on the pod. Yeah. Oh, yes. great. Okay, so we're going to have a, a preview video from Tim for the Everton match, so you don't want to miss that. And uh, we have a professional doing the graphics going forward, so they will be better. So give it a shot. You'll love it. Patreon. Do it. In any event, we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. Everton now. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.